Um, as I've listened to everybody this morning, you know, the songs we've sung and people praying and people reading the Bible, um, it's just great, isn't it, to be here and have Christian fellowship with one another and um, to hear how, God, how good God is to us. But I'm just going to sort of try and bring this Exodus thing to a close. But uh, I'll just relate a story. Deirdre and I went on holidays a little long, uh, a few weeks ago now and um, we packed the car up, got everything organised, a bit like what Owen was talking about, and we headed down south and uh, got about halfway and I said to Deirdre, are we there yet? She goes, you're driving your order. No, I said, oh, yeah, i better concentrate. <laughs> so then we uh, visited my daughter in Wagga. Now, they did, she didn't have 13 palm trees and seven springs, but they had a nice air-conditioned house with seven taps with water in them, so that was just as good. And then we crossed the Bass Strait. No parting of the waters there. A bit of whinging on my behalf because I get seasick, and so we get on this boat and wake up in the middle of the night and pop another pill. Rock, rock, rock. We get to um, uh, Devonport, I think it was. Travel around, and we head to Hobart. So we travel across the desert of Tasmania and we come to Hobart and we went to the Salamanca markets there and there's people there with tents and stalls and stuff and you look up from Hobart and you look and you see this great big mountain, Mount Wellington. It's the most amazing thing. And I just thought of the children of Israel as they were down below Mount Sinai looking up at this great big mountain here I was in Hobart with all these people, there's only two or three hundred thousand people in Hobart because there was about six or seven hundred thousand Israelites, so this little trip reminded me of the children of Israel and of course the children of Israel had been travelling in the desert two months as we read in the Bible this morning and uh, the first 18 chapters are, are about the rescue plan, the, the plan that God put in place to rescue his people and to bring them, bring them to this place. After two months of travel, they come to the place called Mount Sinai and they camp at the foot of the, uh, of the mountain. So here we come to a great scene in the Bible just imagine six or seven hundred thousand people making camp below this great mountain, running around, setting up their, their, setting up their tribes and their tents and their clans and their families, organising their cooking fires, their sanitary requirements, getting themselves organised to camp there. You can imagine the noise and the dust of seven hundred thousand people. Um, but here, these people will stop and come to know the purpose of their rescue. These people, as we read, are to be people of God's treasured possession. Out of all the nations, he says there in Exodus, they will be my treasured, or you will be my treasured possession. Here is a ragtag bunch of refugees with next to no possessions. Just think where they were two months ago in uh, Egypt. Greater, uh, a land of great abundance in slavery to a mighty people who, who we remember 
as the builders of the pyramids, a great and mighty people, great builders, great conquerors, a people who could really boast about the ability, yet God chose the Israelites to be his people. There is one condition, however, that they must be obedient, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. God says next, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. I'll just read the passage. Now if you obey me fully and keep my commandments, then out of all the the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is what Moses was to speak to the people. God didn't want the Egyptians. He wanted the slaves, the lower caste, the outcasts of Egypt to be his people. So even though the whole earth was God's, he has taken particular notice of this people. They must be very special to God. How can all this be when this very nation has actually been as bad as the people they were rescued from? The answer, of course, is not about or to be found in the object of God's loves, that's the Israelites, but in the faithful promise that God made to Abraham. And we see that promise in chapter 2 of Exodus in verse 24. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. So this is God's promise to Abraham that he would look after his descendants, that he would make them a great people. God had promised to make his descendants great and that all the earth would be blessed through him. In verse 4, of chapter 19 God says you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles wings and brought you to myself that is brought you to the Mount Sinai God has shown uh, that they are his people or his prized possession by his actions in bringing them out of Egypt to himself at Mount Sinai Now in verse 7 we see that Moses uh, goes back to the people and tells the elders all the things that God had told him and the people respond in verse 11 after being told that that God wants them to be his holy nation and the kingdom of priests. Their reaction is... um, So Moses went back and summoned the elders and all the people and said to them, all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought back their answer to the Lord. What I'd like to know is why all of a sudden such an enthusiastic response by the people after all the whinging and whining they did in the desert. Remember Moses brought them they thought in the desert to die. They complained about the lack of water. They complained about lots of things, didn't they, uh, to Moses about the position that they were in. Can you imagine Israel's thinking as Moses goes up the mountain to meet with God? Well, I think it was probably a bit like this. 
We'll probably cop it when Moses gets back. We haven't been very thankful about what happened, what's happened to us, have we? We've done and said some pretty dumb things since we left Egypt. So imagine their joy when Moses comes back and, and uh, when Moses says God wants them to be his special people. It's not a great gathering for their destruction, but it's a great gathering for their consecration and a meeting with the living God. Verse 11 or verse 10 will start. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. Because on that day the Lord will come down on, the, on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. So God wants to meet his people. Remember before this time God hasn't met the people like this. It's been all through Moses, the intermediary between God and the children of Israel. God has spoken to Moses and Moses has spoken to the people. They're pretty amazing verses, aren't they, that God wants to come and meet with his people. God has just told Moses to prepare the people because I'm coming down to them after three days of preparation, after their three days of preparation. Three things show us in this passage that God's meeting with his people is to be treated with the utmost care and caution. If we read, if, as we've read this morning, uh, the first thing, that they're not to, they've got to put limits around the mountain and don't be careful to, not to go up and put the foot on the mountain because whoever that touches the mountain shall surely die. So it's holy ground. They have to uh, stay within their limits when they're meeting God. They have to wash their clothes. Now you can imagine six or seven hundred thousand people in the desert of Sinai trying to wash their clothes. You know, that's easy for us to say with washing machines and plenty of water. They had to be clean. And they had to abstain from sexual relations. Thirdly, for three days, the Israelites had made the promise. God now says, get ready to meet with me and see my great power and might. Verses 17 to 20. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from like, like a smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up. Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. Just imagine meeting with this God of power and might. This is what God has promised them, that he will meet with them after coming through the desert. Remember that this meeting with God, uh, this meeting with God happens after the people say that they want to be his people. They've made the promise or they've given their answer to the promise of God that they want to be his people. They want to be his treasured possession. They want to be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. More amazingly, God wants them to be his people. Now I want to ask everyone here about the euphoria of the promise. The great answer that was given, then this totally overwhelming encounter with the living God. 
with the black smoke, the lightning, the thick clouds, the trumpet blasts, how would you feeling how would you feel after seeing and hearing all that? What uh, uh, and then finding out what obedience really means, and that's what uh, chapter twenty is all about—the Ten Commandments. And God spoke all these words, and these words were tr- <clears throat> translated to the people by Moses. I'm sure the full meaning of the Israelites' promise to do everything that the Lord had said would dawn on them as Moses read out the law. <clears throat> So we can see uh, verse 18 of chapter 20, what their reaction is when they hear what the Lord has to said, has said. Verse 18, when the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. They are frightened. Well, let's look at, just have a look at the laws that God is asking them to keep in obedience to prepare themselves for the promised land. He says there that, first one, that you shall have no other gods before me. Well, that's like just, just like putting the created order before the creator isn't it and our world is pretty good like that we saw in Tasmania how the created order has become the god and no recognition is given to the creator and I'll just read out this little statement that I was given after a wonderful tour of Tasmania says this keep this treasure and hand it on to posterity so that those who come after will learn about beauty and awe and wonder because in it, it is in the southwest of Tasmania that you will have a chance to solve the mystery at the heart of all things. Now, what the bloke's saying is, of course, you go to Tasmania and sit in the in the forest, and you'll learn about life. And uh, you know, I was down there, and you don't. <laughs> but you see that the the contrast is between the creator and the created. They have started or we have as a nation started worshipping the created things instead of the person that created them but of course we're not like that are we we don't worship when we go into a forest we see the wonderful things that God has done and worship the creator but what about this what about a beautiful voice don't we tend to worship the singer or the voice not the one who made it And what about the warning God gives there? I am a jealous God and I will punish even children of those who hate me. What about the next commandment? Honour your parents. Parents can be so dumb. Ever told your parents to butt out? What do you think think it means to honour the parents? Well, you do things that bring praise to their name. It's the same way as bringing honour to God. We bring honour to our parents by doing things that praise their name. Well, another commandment, you shall not covet your neighbour's stuff or possessions. I think with such close living, everyone in the neighbouring tents would have known what each each other had. Someone would have had the best donkey. Someone would have had the best tent. Someone 
would have the most money. We live in a world full of things and we want a lot of them and a lot of them we have no right to have. So let's not <clears throat> think that they were the only ones that, with this sort of trouble. Ever wanted to have sex with your neighbour? Ever wanted to get what he's got? Ever wanted to kill someone? Ever hated your parents? Ever loved the created thing more than the creator? Ever told a lie? Ever wasted your time as a Christian? That's really the same as treating the Sabbath day badly. You see the problem? They have given the answer to God's question. Do you want to be my people, a holy nation? Remember what they said? We will do everything that the Lord has said. It is no wonder at verse 18 they tremble with fear. Do not have God speak to us or we will die. Remember God's requirement? They must obey. How can they obey or please God? <clears throat> God requires obedience from his people. Well, as you see, the Israelites are in trouble, and so are we. The law exposes our sin. Just like it exposes their sin, it's like a great light that shines on, uh, on us and reveals who we really are. Anybody ever seen a rabbit here caught in a very strong light? They become immobilised, they can't move. You can walk right up to them and pick them up off the ground. Do you feel exposed and terrified by the law, which as you can see from Mount Sinai comes with great power and authority? I think we should. The law wa walks right up to us and grubs us and says to you, says to us, you are wrong. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 9 and just reinforces what, um, what is said here in Exodus. It says, those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. They could not bear to hear the commandments of God because of their sin. Well, point three, how does God rescue his people today? I'd like to just turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 10, which Wayne has... <clears throat> mentioned before I'd like everybody to read it with me if they could just remember here that Peter is writing to a group of Christians <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 4 we'll start at As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. <clears throat> For in the scripture it says, See, I lay a, a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you were a chosen people, a royal priesthood, 
a nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter calls them a priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Sounds a bit like the children of Israel, doesn't it? You notice that Paul says that this is only possible all because of this cornerstone that is chosen by God and precious to God. Verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also are living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. Notice the emphasis is on trust and believe, as contrasted with in verse 7, where we have the idea of disobedience, uh, rejecting, sorry, and and disobedience in verse 8. There's a contrast there between two groups of people. Trust and obey, rejection and disobedience. So it would seem that to be God's people, for us to be God's people, uh, or to be pleasing to God, then trusting in this cornerstone and not our own ability to please God is what we must do. We have already seen that trusting our own ability is futile. The law shows us that. We all know that. We have already seen that trusting... Uh, sorry, the law... Sh- uh, let us ask the question, do you want to belong to God? Do you want to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God? built into the wall of living stones, part of those that God regards as his people, one of those who have received mercy and can offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ, that cornerstone. Do we really be, do we want to be one of those people? Verse 24 says in that same passage, <clears throat> He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. You know that the sin or wickedness, you know that the sin or wickedness that is in your heart, Jesus has had it placed in himself and God punished him for it as a spectacle for all to see on that tree that is the cross. Jesus died on the cross. He took our sin and our wickedness on himself or in himself. Not only does Jesus take the blame for us, but he willingly took the blame for us. He says to the Father, I am willing to take the blame. Verse 21. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you. That is to be holy because Christ suffered for you or for us. He did it willing, willingly that we might become God, God's 
precious possession. It's not through the law, it's through the death of Jesus and through our trusting and believing in him. Anyone here desperate to be forgiven for a life lived in dis disobedience? The Bible says, believe and trust in Jesus, not in your own works. Our Heavenly Father will accept you in Jesus as part of the holy nation, as part of his own possession. Christian people, God is calling us to be holy and blameless so that we may bring glory to God, just as he was calling the children of Israel to be holy and blameless. So he calls us through the Lord Jesus. I'll just read 24 and 25 again. He himself bore our sins in the body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. For by his wounds we have been healed. We don't have to be afraid like the children of Israel were. They were afraid because they couldn't live to the requirements of the law and they knew it. But we trust in Jesus who has died for us. We trust in him for our, our salvation. Remember that this life, living as priests and a holy nation, is preparing us for the promised land that is to come. I just want to read Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, which is on the same theme. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, that is, through Christ, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by, by the renewing of your mind, that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing, perfect will. We are not our own, we've been bought with a price. We need to live holy and righteously as God's people in the world uh, we find ourselves in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us in sending the Lord Jesus to die for us that we may have new life, that we may be holy and blameless before you. We thank you for your love for us, your undeserving love. We pray that you will help us this coming week to be examples of, of Christ in the workplace, wherever we may find ourselves, to be holy before people, to be blameless, to be righteous in everything that we do, to love one another as we should. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.